welcome to X Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip. And this week we are covering issue six of X Factor. Yeah, after a very dramatic issue five with Richter and Siren and the creepy doctor who was doing all sorts of cruel things. Yeah, that was a super tense issue and quite a page turner. It was because you are so invested in Teresa, even after only five issues. And then for something like that to happen is really gross. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, how are you doing in general? Let's do a quick check in. I mean, it's been a week, so I'm very happy it's a weekend. Yeah, true. And Same we can here. S- spend it with the buns. Yeah. And we're recording this in the afternoon when bunnies typically nap. It's true. We recorded something earlier and they were very active. They, they were like, I need to flip this box of hay over. Did you know I need to move the castle? Which is like a cardboard tunnel with two hay towers or towers that you can fill with hay and they can eat it from the inside. They were very, I think they just wanted to be a part of that recording. They wanted to be contributors. Yes. We're lucky they didn't zoom. Although it's so cute when they do. Yes. And they were working on Abigail Branch, which is like a four foot long limb of an apple tree. Yes. That was pruned off and the buns have been enjoying it immensely. Yeah. I named it Abigail Branch in honor of Abigail Brand, except we actually like Abigail Branch. It's true. Abigail Branch, way better than abigail brand yes um and i think the bunnies would 10 of 10 recommend abigail branch they would we need to flip it over because they're they've almost stripped all the bark from one side yeah this issue came out in june of 2006 so we had both wrapped up our sophomore years of college oh i would be on the farm taking care of my grandparents oh there were dementia Alzheimer's issues, mm-hmm. so having me in the house allowed my uncle to go to work, oh. and I would take them to meals, and I would like try to find things for them to do instead of going to lunch at 10.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. So I'd say, like, we have to finish The Price is Right, or here are some peas for you to shell. Yeah. So it was good to have them do stuff. I also a- stayed with my grandparents during my college breaks. So, and I would help them out in terms of, like, yard work and things like that. Yes, I got very good at hoeing rows of corn. Oh. And I only nicked a few. Oh. I lost those skills because, dear listener, I might have hoed over one of Daryl's cardinal flowers. Yeah, a very nice pollinator flower. But we can grow more. It's true. The hummingbirds will still be fed. Yeah. And... uh, um, of course, I would just stay up super late because I was still in college mode. So I would stay up like until all hours watching things on DVD. Oh. But let's talk about what, what's going on in the world of pop culture with the pop culture pop-up for June of 2006. TV first. So uh, back in the day, I know uh, younger people may not recall this. And maybe if they're listening to this podcast in 20 years, this will be real ancient history. But, like, you really had no new TV to watch in the summers. Everything went on summer break because they filmed everything. You got nine months of a TV show, 
And this was standard across the board. You could not get away from it. Also back when TV seasons had more than like 10 episodes. Yeah. So they would uh, grind out 26 episodes and um, then they'd be done. And you would have three months of no new scripted TV. Of course, reality TV filled this niche a little bit. But even then, the... The standard when it comes to TV, and it may still be around, but at least back then, is that you're not going to get new viewers because it is lighter later. So people are going to be outside enjoying the weather during the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. So why even put the effort into releasing new stuff? Because no one's going to watch it. You're not going to get that ad revenue. Don't pour money into the production. So the number one show in terms of TV ratings this month was Deal or No Deal. Oh, with Howie Mandel. Yeah, with Howie Mandel, because game show was cheap to produce, and it would at least put something new out there that you really, like, you could lead in the ratings, you would still get respectable ad revenue, but it's not like you're dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars into producing one episode of it. I love game shows, and I don't even know how that works. You choose a case, and then based on the probability of there being something awesome inside, they would let you swap? Or no, like, you don't swap. You get offers. So take the cash instead of what's in the case. Yes. So there was the mysterious banker in silhouette. So you have your case. You have to reveal a certain amount of cases left each round. So he would say you have to open four cases, And based off of the numbers that would then be revealed, if it's a lot high numbers, your offer from the banker is going to be super low. Because he's like, your your case is worth nothing. Like, take this $3,000. But if you revealed like the one cent case and the $5 case and the $100 case and $5,000 case or something, then the probability of you having... The larger one is higher. Oh, no. It's one of those probability questions where when you choose one out of... Say there's 20 cases. Yes. You have a 1 in 20 chance of getting a million dollars. Yes. But then when there's only five left, do you take a new case and increase your chances from 1 in 20 to 1 in 5? And I feel like there was a statistician who posted on Twitter about like the work that she did to prove one way or the other. And I can't remember the conclusion. So dear listener, if you remember, is it better to get a new case or stick with the one you chose first. And I feel that sometimes they would let them swap cases, but not often. Like, mm. pr- you're pretty much stuck. Oh, with your, the one that yeah. you chose? Yeah, and they somehow made an hour-long show out of this bullshit. Yeah. We- welcome to the mid-2000s. There was there were no streaming options. We watched a lot of PBS on the farm, because... Yeah, because broadcast TV, and uh, you didn't really have a whole lot of selection. We had... That was grandparent-friendly, yes. We had broadcast TV as well, like the big five channels. Right. And that's when I would watch a lot of DVDs. Netflix back then was just DVDs. It's true. So... um, I watched a lot of Farscape and Star Trek Voyager that way. Yeah. I would go on binges. Like, I would binge Voyager or Dallas. Oh. Um, I might get some bootleg seasons because not all of them had been released on DVD. And there was a Dallas forum, and I got bootleg seasons. You remember when we used to watch Farscape together? Yeah. That was a long time ago. Muppets in Space. It is Muppets in Space, but like adult sci-fi version. Yes. It's so good. And What's-His-Face is super hot. Ben Browder. Yeah. Yes. Smoke show. 
So we're in summer mode. The TV news is not going to be great the next few episodes because there's really not a whole lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so disconnected. Like, I had recently gotten a couple CDs of burned alternative music, so oh. I don't even know what pop music was doing. I can tell you. Do you know what song came out this month? No. Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton. Your favorite. She does follow me on Twitter. <laughs> and um, so good. And she's still holding it down even now as a DJ. So Oh, good for her. Yeah. So uh, that song came out. With, um, I don't think it ever hit number one, which is a travesty. Stars are blind. It should still be number one on the charts for the 18th year in a row or something. Like 14th year? In- oh, math is hard. Anyway, it, decades. It should be like 30 years, number one. Not Linda Ronstadt. Well, I mean, she had her moment. Linda Ronstadt had her decades. But she was not doing popular music. Billboard Hot 100 built for Paris Hilton at this time. I mean, there are thoughts I have about how manufactured stuff like that is. And in the movie theaters... Poseidon is still in the theaters. This is, is that re- the upside down boat one? The remake? Yes, the remake of the Poseidon Adventure. Is the Poseidon like the seventies one like can't be fun? And then they tried to make it more of a thriller, or was it always a thriller? It was always a thriller. Oh. And I have the original one on DVD. We should watch it. It's actually really good structure. That era of the seventies was all about disaster movies. You had the towering inferno. You had the Poseidon Adventure, where it's an upside-down cruise ship. This one had Fergie. This Um, is the summer of Fergie. 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Black Eyed Peas are huge. And Fergie was starting her solo career. Oh, good for her. So she sang some song for this. She was in one of the scenes. I think she died in the movie. Oh. So R.I.P. Fergie's character in Poseidon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if anyone missed her. I don't know if she's that great of an actress. What is she doing now? She divorced Josh Duhamel. What? Yeah. Fellow Minnesotan, Josh Duhamel. Also very attractive. Yeah. Hopefully not a terrible person. Yeah. Um, I don't think he is. I think they just grew out of it. But Oh. Well, then in that case, good for the two of them. But I remember like she would come back for like family Christmases and things like that to Minnesota with him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It, we have a surprising number of famous Minnesotans. Yeah. I mean, we Prince. Josh Hartnett. Josh Hartnett. What happened to him? He was in Penny Dreadful. Oh, a few years ago? Yeah. Interesting. With Ava Green. Yes. Who is amazing. I mean, she can do more than just spooky roles. Like, she was good in Casino Royale as well. And the cute guy from the 4400s from Red Wing. Judy Garland, uh, the Andrews Ju- sisters. Oh, Judy Garland. <laughs> I, ha- I have been to the Judy Garland Festival as a child, and my parents dressed me as the scarecrow. How many times have you cried? Did I cry then? I yeah. was so embarrassed. Like, as an introverted child... Having to dress up in a costume and have people look at me was oh, no. terrifying. I so, thought it meant like overcome with emotion, like when you see the ruby slippers. Oh, well, I do that every time I see the ruby slippers. A surprising Minnesotan, Jessica Lang. 
Oh. Yeah. Yeah. She is from where your parents, or your parents' neck of the woods up in northern Minnesota. That's cool. Yeah. And she has a really beautiful home in Stillwater, apparently, that's been an architectural digest. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I could. See, I feel like Stillwater is one of those older cities where like the architecture would be really good fun. Yeah. She's from Cloquet. Oh. Yeah. Right on the way to Duluth, Minnesota. Up yeah. 35W. Gateway to the Iron Range, I think. Yeah. And uh, I think her par- one of her parents is still alive and lives up there. Oh. She keeps it really low-key, but she lives here a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and what a phenomenal actress, too. So all these movies and shows should stop filming in Georgia and film in the Twin Cities instead. Yeah. And connected to another great actress who's actually come up on the podcast before, Meryl. Um, Meryl Streep had a movie come out at the end of June 2006. Oh, is this when A Prairie Home Companion, the movie, came out? No. Oh. I should really mark that down because Lindsay Wilhand was in that, though. It's true, she was. That was, like, right before. Right before everything with her. No, Devil Wears Prada. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. Iconic in many ways. I've never seen it. There's some really great memes that have come out of it. So I think... We need to watch Devil Wears Prada and Original Poseidon Adventure is added to our lengthy list. Dear listener, can anything really top Carol Channing and Betty White episodes of The Love Boat, though? Like, if I'm going to watch a show or movie about a cruise ship, nothing can top Betty White and Carol Channing on The Love Boat. You should look up those episodes because they're just so fun. Yeah. The last time I took a cruise, like the week before, I watched Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Babe. (laughs) Look at your life. Look at your choices. So maybe next time that um, there's a cruise in my future, Love Boat. It's a good positive show. It's just so campy. And like I when you were like, let's watch it. And I was like, oh, okay. But it's so much fun. (laughs) It was really fun. I mean, people who grew up and with that stuff in the 70s and early 80s, it missed us. It's, like we, it did. We were born right around the time Love Boat was done. And I really, they never really had reruns that I remember of it because it was so soon after that people were probably sick of it. But the outf- like the people watching in the background is fun. Yeah. The outfits are fun. If you want there like, are a lot Betty of White hun- in a non- Rose Nyland type character watch her episodes of the love boat with Carol Channing and the background eye candy for the men in their short shorts what a time to be alive yeah (laughs) oh so let's dive into this issue yes it's issue six yeah there we're following up on a super tense issue as you said already the opening image for the credits page is actually a flashback to Siren being tied to that theater chair. And the description underneath, like, good job of a synopsis. Um, we we know that it was Damien Chip Jr. who attacked her. Um, but now Siren is back. And Richter has brought Siren back to X-Factor headquarters, leaving Dr. Leary to hang around at a local theater. Ooh. Ooh. He deserved it. And that there's still... I mean, that is not quite the thread of comedy that helps lighten up these moments. But it you still get that sort of break in it's the It's gallows humor. But I'm... Oh, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. Um... And the story itself opens on Layla overhearing the team basically debating her. 
Yeah, you get these text bubbles. You don't necessarily know who's who, except you can tell which one is Siren because she says things like, uh, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. No one's dying. Um, you know, I'm right here, don't you? Like some fun little asides. And it's just Layla up against the wall. Also, the art on like the wallpaper is very detailed. Like It is. Amazing props to the art people. Yeah. Like how to create that for several paints and then zoom in when it gets to Layla examining this butterfly that comes in. Mm-hmm. And the pensiveness that they capture in her image is so well done. Yeah. So shout out to the artist, which is Dennis Calero. Kiero? Yes, who's come back, I think, or was filling in. Yes, I think he was filling. Um, letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Shout out to the X-Wave podcast. Um, Corey is actually still lettering for Marvel, even in the current day. So Nice. And he does great work. I mean... Especially for something like X-Factor, where they do different fonts for different dupes. Yes. So uh, this page winds up with someone saying this is all Layla's fault. As the butterfly lands on her finger. And the title page is The Butterfly Defect instead of The Butterfly Effect. Yeah, because The Butterfly Effect movie was out a year or two before this. and the So more people were aware of like... What the metaphor is? Yeah, a terrible movie, by the way. Oh. Well, I can't watch it because they'd be a dog to death. Ew. Yeah, I can't do animal mistreatment in shows or movies. Yeah, there. Are, yes, there are things that we cannot do no. in terms of shows. Yep. But the the general premise is a butterfly flaps its wings and half the world away a hurricane happens because of it. So you get this metaphor, treatise, whatever. Um, whenever people talk about time travel, if you change a small thing here in the past, then it has huge consequences in the future. If you're watching Picard, they bring it up a lot. This particular metaphor and this is what Layla does though she she nudges she just you're gonna to want to take that phone call yes and a lot of it um gets explained in this issue which is exciting yeah we get some good Layla backstory also there's a piece of <laughs> occupational hazard of having bun buns you get hay up your sleeves that poke you at inopportune times like when you're recording Yes. Oh, and there it is. There it is. So we get the image of Siren, like, laid out on the bed, and everyone sort of gathered around in their typical poses. Layla is still examining the butterfly. Madrox is trying to be a leader at this moment, and Richter just says, shut up, Madrox. Monet is like, why am I even here? And Strong Guy is very concerned. Richter's really going hard at Layla in this issue. Yes. For, as he sees it, for someone who knows stuff, she should have known this was coming and protected Siren. Yes. Prevented it from happening. And to some extent, Layla has, in the beginning issues, when that evil wizard guy who is not Merlin... Not Merlin had this projection of what was going to happen, Siren was supposed to go full charge at Singularity Investigations and then be trapped in a bubble and shot. Um, So the fact that she's even here is Layla protecting her, but no one knows that. That was just between not Merlin and 
Chip Sr. Yep. So he goes at her. She's still holding this butterfly. And for one of the questions that Richter asks, Siren's even like, actually, I wouldn't mind hearing her answer when it comes to the why didn't you stop it. Yeah. And before we really go down the answer to that, Guido steps in and is like, Richter, leave her alone. Layla's clearly having a moment. Like she turns to the wall and there's two panels of no text at all. Yeah. To help drive that point home. So they come to the conclusion that Siren is staying there. She's not going to a hospital. And... Monet's point of she needs something more than just staying here. So Maddox goes off to find a doctor. Layla is out front and Rain is coming back. And without any idea of what has happened. Right. And she's sort of asking Layla, what where do you come from? What's your story? Especially when Layla says cryptic things like waiting for things to happen when prompted like, what are you doing here? Yep. So. Uh, Because Rain was on her way back from church and she said, you can come with me to church. And Layla's like, I'm between religions right now. Fair. Um, Layla reveals what happened to Siren and... Like, who's responsible for this is what Rain asks. And Layla says, like, Richter says, I am. And, but he's right. Which is, like, such a big shocker of a dialogue text of, like, after all this, the dramatic moments, it's strong guy having to step in. And then she's like, Richter was correct. So we get more of the connection that's being formed, I would say, between Rain and Layla. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a very Rain, she's more prominent in this and, issue. And Rain is really the the empathy of the team, I think. Not Monet? What? <laughs> <laughs> a car pulls up and it's a woman from an orphanage saying, Layla, thank God you're, you called me and you're all right. It's Mrs. Charnoff who heads up the orphanage where Layla previously was. Yes. And Rain's... and this is news to Rain. Yeah, we, we had even us. We had no idea the circumstances of Layla being there. What, like, why is this girl here? I mean, honestly, I thought that she had come out of some portal from someplace, and that was where that was her origin. She dropped in from the future or something. So we find out her parents died in a car accident, and then there were incidents. And we find out that Layla is a depowered mutant, Mm -hmm. which I thought she was a powered one. I thought like her knowing stuff was somehow connected to Uh, her ability. Yeah. I also I also got the impression that she was like a dragon. I forget what text it was, but with things that were happening, I thought that that she was some sort of like mystical dragon that dropped through a portal. Interesting. Like Jubilee's child current in current X-Men comics? Yes. Where he's in Otherworld? I will try to find it, but there was something that she said. 
So she's on her way back to the orphanage. Mrs. Charnoff gets her into the car and said, that's a lovely butterfly. And Layla says, it's dead. It landed on my hand. And she just short, sort of shakes off the butterfly. Settled down and died. Like, yeah. Ooh, talk about poignant moments of impact. Yeah. And Rain contemplates this dead butterfly. Yeah, for a whole page, again, of non-text. And sometimes... I'm realizing with some of these issues that when they don't say anything, that's when they're saying something. It's very powerful. Yeah. The art and the way that Peter David is writing things to collaborate with the artist on having these character beats where it makes you think. And it resonates. And feel. It resonates a lot when you go through a page like this where there's no text and it's just rain bending down picking up the butterfly, and then going back inside to see what's going on with Siren. Yes. Also, it's a monarch, so please plant pollinators and know what's good for the and if butterflies you're, around you. If you're not able to plant, if you live in an apartment or something, find a great local resource to yes. maybe toss a couple dollars at to fund their efforts to plant some pollinator plants. I did not know that the monarch populations had crashed like... 90 some percent in the it was fairly recent within yeah. the past 10 years the population has crashed yeah so we come back we get this sort of flashback of Layla's parents with these jagged panels so you know it's not quite it's not real yeah. time yeah and it's very Stafford like a mother figure in an apron with fresh baked goods yeah it looks like some big muffins dude in a business suit reading a paper and drinking coffee like and then Layla rips the memory apart to reveal Mrs. Charnoff and some of the other orphans saying it's great to have you back isn't it children and the kids are like yeah "Yeah, great great whatever why is she back so off we go we start to follow um, Monet and Madrox and Richter as they talk to a pet shampoo person. Well, it's a doctor. Well, yes. It's her cover. I just like the van. Yes. And they start questioning her credentials. <laughs> especially Monet is questioning, uh, should we really trust a woman who's rolling up in a van that says pet shampoo on the side? And she's like, well... You can let me do my thing, or the next time that you get hurt, I'm not going to do a damn thing to help you. Yeah. And she's salty right back to Monet. It's wonderful. <laughs> like, and Monet, I love this outfit. They should do a Marvel Legend. With this cape? The cape. Because it's an element of her when she's just tossing her hand like whatever. It's just a natural extension of her. And her mood. It looks good in flight. It looks good when, when she's, she's floating. Or, or floating. Like, it's just such a good look. I will toot that look. Yes. Mr. Scott Free, join us in tooting <laughs> Monet's look here. So she gets checked out, and there's a very creepy aspect of this where... We find out that someone wasn't just randomly hitting her siren. 
they were beating her in very specific locations to not do permanent damage, but to make a statement yep. with it. Yeah. And then so Siren would come out through the other side of this. And it's just super creepy. Yeah, the motive behind it really shows you that someone was out to punish her. And by extension, X-Factor, sending a message and like, yes, don't mess with us. This guy knew exactly how hard to hit and where to do maximum damage without it being permanent. As bad as this was, it was only a warning. If they wanted her dead, she'd be dead. And there's like a very backlit image of Jamie Mm -hmm. as he's hearing this and like, Again, like the art is impactful as you can sort of see the conclusions that Madrox is drawing from this and the seriousness of it. Yeah. Of who they're facing. Interrupted by Rain, who needs to touch Jamie about Layla. So Rain tells uh, the story about Layla and what she disclosed about her background and what she saw and observed. Because right now they just know that Layla is an orphan. She went back to an orphanage. And it is Jamie, Rain, and Guido all talking about everything, really. Because then they get into, like, who who's behind this stuff? Right. And, and Guido is, like, feeling protective of his team. He's hung up on that it must be singularity. Yeah. Um, Jamie's asking, how do you... How do you arrive to that conclusion? And Guido's like, well, one of their former employees capsized informant when she got too close, then killed herself when she's about to be captured. So they're really doing a good job of tying things back to prior issues, forming this overall storyline. Right. Each issue, you get more threads of this sort of like a grand tapestry sort of thing. Like, yeah, it's a good story arc that's being built it is and in very small ways it is not overbearing this is the fifth issue sixth issue seventh issue we need to throw all of our plot points in here because it's going to get resolved it's sort of like the intro to the wheel of time when you just get these threads and then when you start to zoom out a little bit more as more detail gets added you start to see the images of the women Yes, that intro is so, so good. To the TV series. To the TV series. Yes. The Wheel of Time. You should go watch it. So uh, Guido has an idea of, uh, let's get closer to our answers here. And uh, Trip Jr. is jogging through Central Park. And uh, Guido, in some running shorts, runs up beside him. <laughs> Still his same t-shirt, but now he's just in short shorts. Yep. And Trip asks, how did you know I was going to be here? And Guido's like, it was a great write-up in The New Yorker where you talked about your favorite jogging path. Now we're going to keep talking. Yep. Are we now? Yes. <laughs> yep. And so as they're jogging along, they come across a whole slew of dupes. Yeah, because he poses the question, who's going to stop me, you and what army? And... The army is Jamie's. Yes. Just a lot of Madroxes. Just hanging out like in different poses. There's someone swinging from trees and there's just like an ocean of them in yeah. front of this guy. So they're not going to do anything. This is just their way of threatening Trip because they're in a public place. They can't do anything. Broad daylight. Yep. Like 
So that part is resolved. Yep. We move. We have back. sent the message yes. to the singularity. They can now get back to Rain and Jamie going over to the orphanage. And we. It's not great. Yeah. Like, Charnoff just seems very disinterested, doesn't really want to bring Rain and Jamie to see Layla. To be fair, they are not blood relatives. They have no right to see a minor. Oh, that's true. It It's the law. <laughs> so yeah. she's doing her job. And she eventually gives in when Rain turns into her wolf form. And she picks up Layla's scent. That's how they find her. Yeah. And Layla's beaten up. She has a black eye or two. And... Scratches. Yeah. Bruises. She's just hanging out in the playroom with the other orphans. Rain scares away everyone else. Which one of you did this? And, like, as she's in wolf form. Yeah. And for once, Jamie gets to be the one that's giving the sarcasm for nice interrogation rather than being on the receiving end of everyone being like, oh, good detecting. Mm-hmm. And they get a little bit more detail out of her. Um, she, Layla is having a moment. Like, she sees this as punishment for letting Siren be attacked. Yeah, and... She's describing chaos, chaos theory. theory. <laughs> and Jamie said, oh, one of my dupes took quantum mechanics for a semester. What do you know about it? And she's like, well, Jeff Goldblum explained it really well in Jurassic Park. <laughs> and she goes into the whole butterfly effect and she explains, you know, I just, I influenced the outcome of things. I, uh, Essentially flap my wings. I do one little thing at one end and it makes things turn out the way that they should at the other end. So she had a sense that something was happening to Siren. But she also knew it was supposed to happen. So she let it be. Yes. And she cannot say why she knows these things. Because if she does, she'll die. Yes. You don't know if that's a fabrication or if it's real. Like, will lightning just come from the sky? Yeah. Or a portal. Maybe a real dragon will pop out of a portal. Yeah. Jamie and Rain go back to Mrs. Charnoff and say, I I can't do anything. You have to be vetted. I can't just release a child into your custody. But if she escapes and she happens to be with you and then I have no idea where she is in this great big city... Just saying. Yep. So she does have a moment to shine. She sees that Layla probably did really well with X Factor. And on her own... It's a safer environment. Yep. Than- yes. Okay. And we come to our last page of story and Richter is talking to Layla. Said, you know... If someone wanted to give themselves a black eye, all they'd have to do is really punch themselves in the nose. They'd <laughs> raise two pretty good shiners. And uh, I don't know. I it's mean, if you, wanted to get, if you wanted to get sympathy, I guess that's a way you could do it. 
And she's like, interesting thought. And he said, I'll be watching you. And her response is, okay. She has the butterfly on her finger again, and it flies away. Yeah. What does that say? Does she have a, a mutant power, actually? Is it being utilized? Is this a different butterfly? I took it to be the same butterfly. I did too. I liked that there was some sort of like happy resolution mm-hmm. to some extent at the end of this issue. And it is ambiguous as to was she attacked or did she do it to herself for sympathy so that she could come back and because be that's where she what, needed to be? Yes, because that's how it needed to be. Oh, now I'm leaning towards that. but I think that's how it went. Sometimes when endings are ambiguous, I just willfully choose the one that's slightly happier. The butterfly flies off. And that's... That's the issue. Our cliffhanger is really wondering more about Layla. Yeah. It resolves enough so that as developments are metered out, you're not getting so much along one particular story and certain things sort of get wrapped up a little bit. Like we were so curious about, uh, I was so curious at least about Layla. And then this issue comes along at just the right time to resolve some of that. So we're like, okay, I'm satisfied on that front. Now tell me about this other thing that's happening. It's a little morsel. Yeah. But enough to sate your appetite for now. Yep. But you still have questions that there, you know that there's more good story to come. Yeah. But they just put a pin, enough to put a pin in it for some resolution, move on to other stuff, and then come back to it when they need to. Mm-hmm. The so. letters page, it brings up something you referenced in the past, in past episodes, is the comment, the um, body image. And... Yeah. So it's from... Issue four, so a couple episodes ago, and the floral spandex-wearing woman. The comment that was made, and this is a woman who weighs 220 pounds, writing in, saying, I thought that was really offensive. Right, and like... And Peter David... Sometimes you have to settle for the least questionable garment that was available in your size and price range. Like, all those letters are capitalized. Like, it's a thing. Peter David, I think, does well to answer this, saying, you're 220 pounds? Well, next to my 300, you would look positively slim. And the fact is that this was said by a villain. And villains don't always say the nicest things. And this is an element of... Us underscoring what a villain it was. Yeah. Slashes. So, yeah. There was a reasoning behind it. I appreciate that, that it wasn't... Just thrown in because of body shaming. Yes. It was a mechanism to show how awful Mm -hmm. these people are. And we are teased with uh, a mention of Shatterstar... Showing up and getting involved with Richter. And Peter David sort of writes it off like, oh, we don't have enough people in this book. Yeah. You really need to wonder that. But he's he's deliberately teasing things. And some he, things won't come true. Some things will. Making this reference of Brokeback Mutant. Yes. Between the two of them. And that's what sort of confused me as to the 
sort of timeline for Richter coming out. I'm like, mm-hmm. was it, did it happen before officially? Is that knowledge or is everyone picking up on the vibes between Richter and Shatterstar? I think they were picking up on them. Yeah. That's sort of where I landed with it. And that's where we end next issue tease. More bad news for Siren. And Madrox being thrown out of a window with many dupes looking terrified. Yeah. Thoughts on this issue overall? I liked it. I really needed some Layla content and mm-hmm. it provided at just the right time. So that was good. Yeah, it doesn't really close anything out. It continues the storyline with Singularity. Teresa's not all the way better. No, and like I do appreciate that it's not an instant heal situation. Yeah. Like often happens in shows and comics and movies. Yeah. Where it's just like, I, X-Men Evolution, we just watched, Cyclops was hit so hard in the face, his sunglasses fell off as he, like, rebounded off of a wooden pillar. Mm-hmm. And the next day, there was no sign of it. Yep. So. I appreciate the mysteries that they're building. There are several at this point. Yes. So it, it really causes us all to investigate what's going on there. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we will catch you next time with issue seven. Until then, make sure to follow us on Instagram at X Factor Files Podcast. And we are actually still running the contest for the flip it, for the flippy. Flippy. Yes. So make sure to look us up on social media and enter that contest. We want to give away a flippy to someone. To read comics. Yes. And anything else you may want to read or use it for. It's good for propping up tablets if you want to watch something on your tablet, too. Oh. Yeah. Super handy. Wherever and however you recline at your leisure. Yes. There is space for a flippy. There is. There's always space for a flippy. So, until next time, everyone. See you later. Take care. Bye.